Then the next pre-order, I got 1,459. And then the next pre-order that jumped up to 1,800. So you can see it just kept slowly jumping up. My last pre-order, I did over 2,200 that was pre-ordered. So each time it has been significantly more than the, than the previous pre-order. Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we discuss meaningful ways to get better results with your author business. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into a popular topic, pre-orders. A couple of months ago, we covered the topic with Elizabeth Craig, who had a uh, somewhat disappointing experience with pre-orders. That episode generated some really interesting conversation inside the AuthorBiz Facebook group from two authors who'd had a much different experience, actually a much more positive experience when using them. The two authors, C.A. Newsom and Bobby Holmes, who also happen to be friends, agreed to come onto the show together to discuss their different approaches to the pre-order process. Bobby has found a good deal of success with pre-orders in part because of an aggressive four-book-a-year publishing schedule, while CA, or Carol, combined contests and a larger email list to get the most out of the recent pre-order for her mystery series. Before we get to today's interview, there are two other things I'd like to get to. Uh, One, to help pay the bills here at the Author Biz, and the second, a bit of personal news. During the interview, you'll hear us talk about Mark Dawson's Facebook Ads for Authors course a few times. Both Carol and Bobby are taking the course, which is only open for new student registrations through midnight Eastern time on June 14th. So if you are one of those authors who's on the fence about the course, time is running out. If you do decide to take the course, using the AuthorBiz affiliate link will get you the same price and benefits but it also helps to defray some of the costs of producing this show. Just go to theauthorbiz.com slash Facebook ads. You'll be redirected to a page that will tell you all about the course and the extensive list of bonuses available to students who take the course. Again, Mark's course closes to new students on June 14th at midnight. So if you're interested in using Facebook ads to sell more books and add more of those valuable new subscribers to your email list, and it's not yet midnight on June 14th, now's the time. And again, that's midnight Eastern time or New York time on June 14th. All right, now on to the totally personal news part of the show. Our first grandchild, Wyatt, was born a few weeks ahead of schedule in early June. We knew, you know, my wife and I have been looking forward to this, as you can imagine, for a long time. We knew it was going to be a happy and blessed event for us. But as many of you know, there's nothing like the feeling that you have when it actually happens. The little guy is so adorable and cute. And he's also, at just like three days old, we could tell how smart he is, how good looking he is, very powerful and strong. He's a wonderful young boy. (laughs) Again, his name is Wyatt, and we are so happy to have him as a part of our family. You know, a weird thing that's happened in my life is that as guys, we mock one another for getting older. 
And my friends and I have always, you know, when it's time to mock your friend, you you might refer to him as grandpa. And now all of a sudden, it's something that when someone says to me, it just makes me feel really good. So it's it's a wonderful bit of news, and I'm happy to share it with you here on the show. All right, let's get on with today's interview with Carol Newsom and Bobby Holmes. Carol Newsom and Bobby Holmes, welcome to the Author Biz. It's great to be here, Steve. Hello, Steve. It's good to be here, too. Let's get started with uh, brief introductions, because we rarely do these multi-person interviews, so it's a little bit of a challenge for me. Uh, but, but let's start with Carol. Carol, tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, my name's Carol Newsom, and I am self-published under the name C.A. Newsom. I write dog park mysteries that are based here in Cincinnati, where I live. And I wrote my first book in 2011 and published it in September of that year. And I've been writing ever since. Okay. And Bobby? Um, I write under the name Bobby Holmes, and I also run under the name Anna J. McIntyre. Um, my Anna J. McIntyre books, I published the first one in 2011. They're more adult um, fiction, uh, more serious, serious topics. And under my real name, Bobby Holmes, I write a paranormal cozy mystery series, and that's really the one I've been working on the most recently. I also have a few nonfiction books out there with my entire name, Bobby Ann Johnson Holmes, just to confuse readers. <laughs> so that, that, that's who I am. Okay. And as a little bit of background for this show, uh, I did a show with Elizabeth Craig titled Pre-Orders, Are They Always a Good Idea? And during that show, uh, Elizabeth's contention, and I sort of agreed, was that in a lot of cases, pre-orders were not a good idea. She had done an experiment, and it just didn't work out well for her. But for people who haven't listened to that, she had a really long pre-order period, and there was, there was no sense of actual, I, I don't think, anticipation about the book. Uh, but for her, it just really didn't work out, and at the end of it, she decided she wouldn't do it again. And we had some discussion inside the AuthorBiz Facebook group where Carol took a different position and, and said, wow, you know, I've had a lot of success with pre-orders and my friend Bobby. And then I think you got involved in the conversation and, and you guys both go at pre-orders from a completely or from a completely different direction, but you've both had a great deal of success with them. So I thought this would make a, a nice counterpoint argument or episode to the one we had with Elizabeth. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, let's just get started. We'll, we'll start with Carol. Carol, what's, what, what has been your experience with, with pre-orders? Okay. Um, well, first off, I, I want to say that uh, my experience, it was modest success. It wasn't great success, but it certainly was encouraging, and I plan on doing it again. I think it's really important if you're going to do a pre-order that you already have some kind of audience. I think if you're doing it on a first book uh, and nobody knows who you are, that uh, you need to save what few sales you can scrape up for launch day for launch day. Um, that said, if you already have some uh, some books out there and you already have people who know who you are, um, I think a pre-order is a great opportunity. Uh, there are uh, – my experience was – now, I, I have been watching other people do the pre-orders uh, while I was working on my books since, you know, I know other people that produce books a lot 
more quickly than I do. And so by the time I was ready to put this one out, um, I had some thoughts about it. And, and the first one was that I had a book bub ad and I timed it so that I had the pre-order link for the latest book and I put it in the back of the book that I put up for my book bub ad. So, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 30,000 books that I gave away. And so that in of itself, I think, really got the word out there. Uh, in addition to, you know, other uh, <coughs> returns that I had on the book bub ad, I think that was a bonus. Uh then I have a mailing list, and um, at the time that I was doing that, I had, um, I'd say, about 1,700 people on the mailing list. I love my readers that sign up for my mailing list, so I occasionally do a really nice giveaway. And this time, if people pre-ordered the book, um, I was giving away a Kindle. You know, they would send in the... Um, send me a copy of their receipt, you know, so that encouraged some pre-order sales, which uh, what was interesting is that I don't think that most of my pre-order sales came off of my mailing list. I think they probably came from the BookBub ad. But now I only had uh, like around 420 some pre-orders over a period that was about 10 weeks. Carol, for which, which book are we talking about? That's Muddy Mouth. Okay, which is your most recent release. And you said only 420 pre-orders. I, th I remember when I was interviewing you on CrimeFiction.fm for this book, and you told me the number of pre-orders. And I think you may have used the word only at that time. And, and I, I was blown away by it because I've been following your career. And I, I know it's, you know, you've, you've been on sort of a, a, a slow build process. You, you don't have a lot of marketing money that you're throwing behind your, uh, your sales efforts. And I, I thought that was a pretty successful pre-order. Well, I, I guess I'm I'm weighing myself against people that I know that are doing phenomenally better. Uh, I will say that it is, even with the pre-orders, the pre-orders did not rob me of launch week sales. Uh, I still had a better launch week than I had ever had before. And the advantage for me, when your pre-order goes up, if you get enough uh sales during a certain period of time, and who knows what Amazon's uh, line is for that, you know, but uh, uh, you get on the hot new release list for mm -hmm. your categories. And when that happens, before your book actually goes on sale, you stay on the list until a month after it's been on sale. So instead of 30 days on the hot new release list, you could get uh, as much as 120. And, you know, so I've seen uh, Bobby, for example, have two books on the hot new release list at one time. And I'll stop stop talking about Bobby because she can <laughs> she can share her own experience. Uh, but, you know, for me, that that hot new release list is one of the best things that you can do for exposure when you have minimal uh, minimal audience, you know, uh, it's it's one of those things that people who don't know you and they're looking for something new and different, they'll go there. 
I felt like that was a real good plus for me. Okay, great. All right, now we'll, we'll switch over to Bobby. And, Bobby, I'll ask you uh, the same question. What, what has been your experience, uh, especially recently, with, uh, with pre-orders? Well, when I originally started my first pre-order, I had been writing under the Anna J. McIntyre, and I had two series out. One at the time, the Colson series was doing pretty well because I would periodically have a book bub ad, and then I had another romance series. It did all right, not not terrific, but it did okay. But I really wanted to genre hop, which everybody says is a bad thing, but I really had this idea for a cozy mystery series with the ghost. So I write, wrote my first one, and it was actually received fairly well because I wrote it under my own name, which really wasn't out there like the Anna J. McIntyre. Um, and so then I decided to try The Ghosts Who Love Diamonds, which was with books two in the series. I decided to try a pre-order. Well, like the other person that you interviewed, it wasn't a real phenomenal. I only did like 65 pre-orders. That's not real terrific. And it was out there for, for, for three months. So the next book in the series, the third book, I had a, a medical issue at the time. And I was a little hesitant to do a pre-order to be able to not meet the commitment because in a pre-order, if you don't upload your file um, by the drop-dead date, then Amazon will punish you and you won't be able to do it again for a year. So I didn't really, I don't want to risk that. So I skipped book three and didn't do a pre-order. And so when book um, four came along, I did my next, my second pre-order. Um, the results of that were much better. I ended up, um, there were uh, 1,459 pre-orders in that book. Oh, excuse me, I'm skipping ahead. The next one was 921 pre-orders on my second pre-order. Okay, so that was the fourth <laughs> book, though, was 921? That, no, that was a, that was actually the third book in okay, the series. All right. I, wait, for, yeah, <laughs> I'm getting confused here. <laughs> yeah, that, let's see, the first one, two, yeah, the third book in the series, well... So you went from 67 or so the first time well, you tried it. Okay, the, the first time I did it, I did it for 65. Skipped okay. the next book, did it, for, and it, I got 921 pre-orders. Then the next pre-order, I got 1,459. And then the next pre-order, that jumped up to 1,800. So you can see it just kept slowly jumping up. My last pre-order, I did over 2,200 that was pre-ordered. So each time, it has been significantly more than the than the previous pre-order. So I've seen an increase with each one. Um, I have over a month left on this current one, and already I've already done uh, 1,700 pre-orders, but I have over a month left still. So I'm, you know, I'm expecting to at least do what I did last time, if if not better, if the trend continues. And and what do you think is driving those pre-orders? Well, I, th I think one thing is. Um, it's a series, obviously, that I have I have captured a certain group of readers. You know, it's like any book. Some people love them. Some people hate them. This particular series ha does have a group of fans. And so when they finish a book, one of the things I really am careful about doing, I always put a link to the new pre-order in the book that I just put out, which makes it a little bit hectic for me because when I'm putting my, you know, getting my file out for the book that I have pre-ordered, I have to first upload a brand new pre-order. So for like two days, I have two pre-orders going that sort of overlap. But that, I do mm -hmm. that so I can grab that Amazon link and then put it in my file when I upload my final file. So when um, I put my last pre-order out, The Ghosts from the Sea, the link for the book that I'm going to be publishing in July was in the back of the book. And then I think, so that's, it's, that's one of the things that I've done is making sure that I have the Amazon buy link in there um, so they can, it's there. 
um, because you figure that there's like a couple thousand going out. And so when they finish the book, hopefully those are pre-order people and they'll pre-order again if they like want to keep reading the series. Um, and also, you know, the thing the men- I think the mental thing about the pre-orders is it's not like they're paying for it right then. They don't get billed for 90 days, you know, so they can say, oh, this was a good book or I want to read the next one. I'll go ahead and pre-order it, worry about it later. And when they're billed, they're, you know, $4.50, you know, three months down the way. It's not that big of a deal, and they haven't really thought about it, and it just keeps moving on. I want to get back to that $4.50 at some point in the future, but um, let's, let's, let's continue on with, with this. Uh, just, just so that listeners understand, you have a very aggressive publication schedule. Right. And that is what? Every 90 days. Okay, and you're, you're pretty rigid about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I have to be, yeah. So when, when you, you, you publish a book, and as you said, for two days, you've got the, the two pre-orders out there. So essentially, from the point where you publish a book, you've got exactly 90 days to have the next book released. Yes. Okay. And that, to a certain extent, would help to drive this continual improvement of, of your pre-orders. And it's exactly – well, it's not exactly the opposite, but it's much different than what Carol's doing. She's got, she's got a much looser production schedule. Uh, but I, Carol, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're somewhere around a year or maybe 10 months or so between books? Yeah, I'm I'm settling in at about a year. I once tried to move that schedule up, and it just didn't work for me. Well, you know, Carol also has a much better mailing list than I do. I mean, I, I really have – in fact, I'm taking that course. I'm trying to improve my mailing list um, to, to utilize that more because I really don't intend to stay on this schedule forever because mm-hmm. I'm going to either run out of stories or – you know, explode one of the two because I, I don't want. I'll only keep doing this as long as readers tell me they want more, and I still have stories to tell. I'm not going to write just to write. But every time so I've been lucky because as I'm writing the book, I these ideas come for the next book in the series. So it's like this muse keeps me going. But when I come to a point where I don't have any ideas, or the readers say, you know, the series is done with, and I will wrap it up then. Now, why why have you not focused on your mailing list prior to this point? Because I've been writing a book every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good answer. I can't think of anything else. I mean, that just pretty much kind of wraps up what I, you know what I've been doing, unless there's a you know specific question. But I do also agree with Carol when she said this isn't a strategy for a new author. I mean, even though. Mm-hmm. I was known out there as Anna J. McIntyre to some readers. It's a totally a different genre. Um, I don't, you know, I, I really wouldn't, those, they don't necessarily overlap. Some of them do like both of the books, but not necessarily. So it was like starting out as a new reader. So I don't think it would have really helped me at all to do the first book as a, as a pre-order. And even the second book was very, you know, it was very week. But I want to also point out with this series, I have never done a BookBub ad on this particular series. I've done a um, the uh, ebook Reader Today ad, but I've never done a BookBub because the first book in the series I have priced is 99 cents. So instead of doing a perma-free on the first book, I did a 99 cents, which doesn't seem to be a bad price for a cozy mystery series. Mm-hmm. Whereas I noticed some series, if you price a book uh, 99 cents, it turns off readers. They feel, oh, that's a cheap book. I don't want to deal with it. And I, I've sort of noticed it in cozy that 
seems to be a little bit more accepted. So 99 cents is enough for them to, you know, try out. And then they tend to read the book more, I think, than if it's just a free book, because when you pay for a book, even 99 cents, you have more of a tendency to get to it than one that you download with 20 other books you've just downloaded for free. And do you have any sense of what the follow through is from that? Because by the if if they're just if today they buy the ninety nine cent book, they get to the end and there's the link to the second book and and the link to the third and so on and so forth until they're pre ordering the ninth book if they read quickly enough. Do you have any sense of of what the read through is from that first ninety nine cent book? Um. Oh, I know it's over 50%. I, I know that, but I'm not sure exactly. I just know the last time I checked was quite a while ago, and it was that. But it's pretty constant. I mean, I, I see a real constant. It's just a, sort of like this wave that I see going where, you know, the, and the ratings have – the ranking on them have usually stayed. You know, sometimes they'll stay under 10. Sometimes they – you know, go up to 30, but they're kind of all in that range. They kind of wave around between under 40 down to maybe 5,000 as far as the ranking goes. So, and it changes. And, and like Carol said, I haven't really noticed a problem when it comes to release days because I end up having kind of a little upsurf on daily sales after that. So they do keep going. It doesn't just like suddenly stop off when the, they're released on the, on the day. As Carol said, you are able to stay on the hot new release list almost constantly then because of your release schedule. Yeah, there's one of our writer friends from one of the groups that Carol and I belong to always used to say, he's a very successful writer. He always you can said use his name. The, I think he's been on the show before. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking of Andrew Sachs. I'm oh, okay. thinking of Andrew right. Sachs. He, okay. he writes a science fiction series and he's, he does fairly well. And one of his things he always told us is that, you know, one of the things that really feeds it is when you continue to publish. And a new, a new book will do really pump the you know, well, but it, it's not going to work, obviously, if it's a book nobody wants to read or if they're disappointed in or whatever. So um, that's one thing that he always taught. And I think this sort of works along with that. Okay. And, and Carol, ha, she mentioned your email list and the value of, of your email list. What have you done to grow it so quickly? Because you've got a lot of people on the list for someone who's only been publishing books for a fairly short period of time. I was doing okay organically, and uh, about the time where I had about 500 people on the list, I um, decided that I was going to do a giveaway. And it's about the time that Mark Dawson started talking about uh, using a second free book. You have I have the Permafree as my first book, and. My motivation was a little different. My first book ends in a way that leaves some, some questions open for the reader. And so I that the one complaint that I get consistently is about that. And there really was no way for me to go back and change that because the second book depends on the first book being the way it is. So I thought, well, you know what? For everybody who's upset that they read this book and they didn't get an answer that they wanted, then I will give them the option of having the book for free. And it, it just so happens. And so I made that a condition or, or something, a bonus that came along with signing up for my mailing list. And that is uh, the same time that Mark Dawson started talking about this, which is very coincidental. Now, I haven't done any advertising uh, like 
he advises. I haven't had a chance to go through that course. I've purchased the course. I just haven't had time to actually sink my teeth into it. But I started getting, instead of one to three signups a day, I started getting uh, anywhere from five to seven a day. And so in a period of six months, I added 1,500 people to the list. And that's still organic. That is still coming out of the back of the book. Um, now, I'm going to toy around with doing some of those ads um, in the near future. But I will be putting that list on a different mailing list because I'm interested in seeing how well those uh, – addresses perform in comparison with the people that read the book, liked the book, and wanted to stay on with the series. And for people who are who maybe don't have a mailing list yet and it, it might not understand what you're talking about, what, what do you mean when you say you're going to put them on a separate mailing list? Well, it, when you have a, a, an account with someone like MailChimp, you have the option of putting up different lists. Uh, you know, so I have like the A list, which are the people that sign up through the back of the book. And then I create a separate list that is the people who sign up, who would be signing up by different methods. Like I was just at Book Expo America and I got a um, hundred new email addresses while I was there. And I'm interested in seeing if uh, now, those people were, they're all book lovers because they were at Book Expo, or it was Book Con at the end of Book Expo. And I put them into a giveaway for a Kindle and some other bling, uh, you know, like coffee mugs and whatnot, if they signed up for my email list. And those folks, uh, because they didn't know my writing, I set up a giveaway of a starter library, which has the first two books in it, and put those names into a separate list on MailChimp. And I'll send them a same or very similar newsletter, but I'm just interested in seeing, you know, how many of these people actually turn out to be fans, how many of them participate in giveaways, or, you know, when I poll readers, you know, how many, what percentage of those people uh, respond as opposed to, uh, you know, and how many opens. So I, I just want to find out how valuable it is to get addresses from people that aren't already haven't already liked your books and and uh already know that they want to stay in touch with you okay that's that's very useful information and are are you using when you put links to the books in there are you putting affiliate links in there so that you can actually track them um well i use affiliate links but uh, I don't really know much about tracking uh that's that's something i haven't really gotten into just as an, a, a point of education, and you, you may already know this, but some listeners may not, when you set up affiliate links within Amazon, you can essentially set up an, an unlimited number of tracking uh, IDs, essentially. So you could have one for your mailing list, uh, one for your website, one for a promotional thing that, uh, you know, maybe you wrote a guest post on somebody's site. You can use different tracking IDs for each of those and then track it at, at a very fine level. And it's, it's very simple to do. Wow. So I thought maybe I you were doing that. New. <laughs> I have a question. We're talking about the affiliate links when you're, when you have like an Amazon, you're selling an Amazon product mm -hmm. and you have a link on there, right? 
And you know, I remember a long time ago when I looked into that, I was under the impression that you couldn't use it for ebooks, but they can be used for ebooks. Yes, you can. They they have there are specific rules about what you can and can't do with them, but yes, you can definitely use them for ebooks. And it really, and that's something that you'll get out of Mark's course. But but it, it's just a great way of of tracking things. Just like Carol has different email lists to track the value of. Of, of the different ways she collects the email addresses, you can use these different tracking codes to track the value of, of your different uh, outreach processes. Now, the, the affiliate links, um, I don't believe you can put them in ebooks, but they can go in my loose newsletter and on my website. Yes. And you're, technically, you're not supposed to put them in Facebook ads either. But people do it. Uh Ah. But it is it is a violation, I think, of the of the terms of service. Um, Carol, I noticed one other thing that you're experimenting with now is Wattpad. Yes, and uh, I, I know it's early days for that. But what are your thoughts? Um, I, I'm hesitant to comment. This is something that Mark Coker came up with. Uh, you know, I just distribute to some platforms via Smashwords, and one of his better-selling mystery authors, uh, he invited me into this promo. You know, so they have, uh, for, you know, the next couple months, they have over 100 mystery titles that are uh, from via Smashwords that are available on Wattpad. Uh, it's very much early days. Okay. Uh, you know, I I think that with any platform, that if you actually engage with the platform, instead of just popping in and popping something up, that you're going to see better results. And so I'm really... My expectations are very minimal for this. Um, I'm hoping that it gets. Um, I'm hoping that it becomes more after the entire book is up. Uh, one thing that I do like about the Wattpad venue is that you can put up videos and you can put up photographs anywhere in the book. And since this is Cincinnati-based books, uh, I have been putting up photographs from my dog park and, you know, various places around that are relevant to the books. And, and that's been fun. Okay. And Bobby, there's something, I, I mentioned this earlier and, and you mentioned the price of $4 and 50 cents. We, I buy a lot of books. We all buy a lot of books and almost every book that I buy, the price ends in dot nine, nine. And I saw your books today and the pricing and I was curious as to whether or not you've done any testing with that and how you decided on four fifty rather than three ninety nine or four ninety nine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just sounded like a good price at the time. And uh, I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of the ninety nine cents. I, I always seem so like like people don't get that you're really, you know, it's almost, you know, the dollar, but I know I know that's a real common marketing thing that they mm -hmm. do the 99 cents and i think i have my other series i think maybe they may have a 99 cents price on those on the other books in my series under manager mcintyre um i can't really recall i think honestly i think i did a lot of comparison when i first decided to price um this particular series considering the length and what other books were out there in that genre 
have they always been, you know, straight from volume one all the way to the pre-order for volume nine? Have they always been 450? Well, the first one, like I said, I put at 99 cents. Right, but the, the um, others are all and, 450. And, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking the very beginning when I first started, I think I started the series in um, Select. But it wasn't really in Select that long. I took it out of Select. Um, it may have even been in it just one one term. I'm not really sure. That's been a while because it's been, you know, a couple years. And that's been back in uh, 2014 when I put the first one out there. Okay. Let, let's talk about pre-orders on the different platforms. Are you, are you making the pre-orders available on all of the, the usual digital platforms? Well, for me, this is Bobby speaking. For mm-hmm. me, um, I have been starting to just recently. I've been paying more attention to putting them on there, but I've I've been so busy, quite honestly, that I really have just put them on there when I upload my book. The ten days, you know, within ten days before it goes live on Amazon, then I go through and I pre put it on pre-orders everywhere else. Well, not totally everywhere. I put it on um, Kobo and I put it on iTunes and Smashwords. I go ahead and do it. Um, and as far as Barnes & Noble, I know that you can write them about a pre-order. That's not an automatic thing you can do, and I haven't gotten around to do that. So that one I just upload, like, the day it's supposed to go out. But I do need to start paying more attention to the – I am. that's one of my goals for this next year is to, to pay more attention to other sites like um, iTunes and Kobo and Barnes and & Noble and Smashwords and <clears throat> the other ones out there, not just to rely on um, Amazon. Carol, since you've you've only recently started with pre-orders, is, is there any part of your launch process that's different now than it had been before when you were just posting the, the novel and, and making it available for sale? Well, the thing one of the things I like about the pre-order is historically in self-publishing, there is a bit of a rush to publish. And I think that uh, if you time it properly – that the pre-order can give you a, a free period where um, you can have a little downtime uh, and focus your attention on marketing the book instead of doing this rush up to loading it and then turning around and saying, well, do I give myself time to recuperate or do I start paying attention to my promo efforts for the book? And, oh, my gosh, I've probably already dropped the ball on that. Um, My plan for the next time I do the pre-order is to not – post the pre-order until I am actually ready to send the book out to the beta readers and thereby give myself enough time to focus in on on uh, working about those advanced publicity bits. And let's, let's talk for a minute, Carol, about the downside of the pre-orders, because I remember when, when you and I talked about Muddy Mouth on CrimeFiction.fm, you sent me the book pretty late in the day. And uh, when I say late in the day, pretty late in the process, it was pretty close to the release date. So the sense that I got was that you were still making changes almost up to the drop dead hour when uh, the book was going to be released. Was that really stressful? I had had 13 seconds to spare. (laughs) I thought I had an extra day, but Amazon, uh, they say – Uh, you need to have it uploaded by a certain date. Well, what they mean is 12.01 a.m. of that day, not midnight 
after 11.59 p.m. of that day. So I just happened to think, you know what, I want to get this in a day early and and not worry about it. But I always knew that I could go over that extra day. And, and then it was after 11 when I logged in and I saw this note from Amazon that said it was due before midnight that night. And uh, so... Um, you know, I tidied things up as much as I could. And, you know, actually, I didn't really have much left to do anyway. So I was able to do what I wanted to do and and then plugged it on in. But but that one 24-hour period is, boy, I wish they would reword the notices they send out because they, they are misleading. For me, I was giving myself the time. I could have gotten it in earlier had I really pushed but I, I did let it stretch out to the very end. You know, yes, if you do not plan properly uh, or if something happens, you have a car wreck, you know, you have a health issue, um, you could run into a situation where you're going to lose all those sales, uh, you know, and how are you going to get them back? Yes, or you're going to publish a shopping list or whatever you put up there as, as a placeholder. Well, I would never let that happen. Uh, <laughs> there's there's got to be something intermediate that you can do and mm-hmm. you know but but yeah you you don't want to put out a substandard product okay and bobby it was your launch process any different for the one book that you did without pre-orders than the others that you've done with pre-orders i think one of the things about the pre-order with an Amazon especially is, you know, sometimes we never know when we upload a book um, when it's going to really go live. So you're, you're telling all your people, oh, it's going to go live this day, and then there's some glitch at Amazon, and it maybe takes two days later. I've seen that happen. One thing about the pre-order is when you say it's going to go live, it's live that day. That's one of the things that I kind of like about it. Um, you know, as far as I'm not – I have never been a huge launch person. I mean, sometimes, you know, I see these other, my other author friends that go, I mean, I see Carol, she does all this work, these other people, they do all these things for their launch, and and I really have not given that attention. So for me, the pre-order is the one thing that I've done that's worked, that's gotten my, you know, sales up there, because I have been lacking in the other areas when it comes to really promoting a launch or, you know, getting my newsletters out, all those things I really should be doing from the marketing end. Okay, so we just had this really strange thing where the power went out at my house, and I'm recording this on a Mac, and but my microphone went off, and everything went off except the Mac. So you guys were able to continue to talk, and, and when the power came back on here, I thought we were still recording, but my recorder went off, and we missed it. So we are re-recording the ending here. So where we left off, we were just about to the end, and I wanted to talk a little bit about covers because, Bobby, you had mentioned your covers earlier, and and they are unique in that they're so similar. It's just, as you said, the house is the same, and then there's just the title and the colors and, and different things that happen within the house. And, and you mentioned that uh, you have a long-term relationship with your cover designer. Yes, I do. I have this great cover designer. She has a. Um, she's been working for me for a long time. It's my daughter. She also <laughs> does Carol's covers, <laughs> but she she's also a, she's a professional graphic artist. But she's also a fine artist, and so she designed the house on. That's her image. It's not something that she got from a stock site, 
And what she does is in each cover, she puts something different in the windows. So like in the very first book, there's a noose hanging in the attic window and on the other books, there might be somebody running with a knife or a gun or something <laughs> in all the different windows. And then the changes, the colors are changed on each cover. So some might be red or blue or whatever, but the, it, so that's the, it's consistent, but then it's the change in the windows. And it's that wonderful thing where you go to Amazon and you see this cover, you know that's one of Bobby's books, and you know exactly what series it's a part of. Well, and one of the things about the series, I did choose to have the series name larger. So it says Haunting Danielle, which is the name of the series. But the actual title of the book is listed right below that, and it is a little bit smaller. So that is has to do with some changes I made along the way. But that's how I decided to do it for the brand. Even it seems to have worked. And Carol's covers are completely different because Carol is an artist herself, uh, a painter. And Carol, you actually create the images for the covers and then you turn them over to your cover designer who puts in the, the titles and things like that, makes it all look good. That's, that's right. Um, one thing that I think a lot of self-publishers don't realize is, you know, they think they can go in to any graphics program and make a cover, but... You have to know how to balance that, make beautiful typography, and then balance it out with an image so that they work together and uh, neither one overshadows the other. And that's something that I absolutely don't need, don't know how to do. I did my own covers for the first few years, and that was basically because I didn't have the money at that point to be able to afford to pay someone. And I figured that hopefully the quality of the painting was going to overshadow the other deficiencies on the covers. But as soon as I've been watching Elizabeth working in, in with other authors for a couple of years, and she is phenomenal at branding. The branding for for Bobby's series, I think, is absolutely perfect. I, yeah, uh, it is, it's very nice. It, yeah, and, you know, so I knew that I wanted... I wanted somebody creative that would be that I have seen be able to create not the same style over and over again for 20 different artists, but be able to come up with unique ideas according to what she's working with. And that's Elizabeth all over. So, um, you know, I, I knew that as soon as I had the money to be able to start uh, paying for cover design, that I was absolutely going to invest in it. Carol, you've had the opportunity to read a lot of Bobby's books. How would how would you describe them? I think they're fun. Uh, they're light mysteries, and Bobby is one of the tightest writers that I know. She's a veteran. Uh, she didn't mention a lot of her her writing experience, but her experience with self-publishing goes way back before there was ever a Kindle. Uh, you know, so she's been a writer for a long time. And, uh, you know, they are, they're perfect vacation books, just fun, light reading, and, you know, her ghost is delightful, uh, and uh, uh, I always know that if I want to have one of those veg out days, that I want to curl up with one of Bobby's books. And I can talk for uh, briefly about your books. I haven't read them all, but I've read uh, several of them. And your most recent book, Muddy Mouth, is my favorite of all of them because you hit essentially every hot button for me. Um, a, a good story. Uh, B, it was about an indie 
It's about the indie author business, and there's, there's a book convention, and there's all this shenanigans that's going on in the indie author business, and there's this group of women that are sort of managing the career for a big-time indie author, and, and we could, we're all trying to guess who this big-time indie author might be, and it's just a really fun book, and that's, that's Muddy Mouth. That was the fifth book in your, in your series, and, and you're, as an artist, you've done all the images for the covers, and it, I, I think it's really fun to just look at the different covers and, and see what you've done, and, and listeners can do that at your website, which is canewsome.com. And people can see the Haunting Danielle covers at a couple different places, right, Bobby? Yeah. Um, also, I want to say real quick before you move on, I'm also a fan of Carol's writing. In fact, I'm planning to read Muddy Mouth when I go on vacation next week. You so will I'm love forward it. To that you read. will love it. Yep. So, um, so yeah, BobbyHolmes.com is probably the easiest place to find me at. I have a, a couple of other websites, but that will lead you everywhere. I will link. I will link to those other websites for your pseudonym and for your publishing company. We will also link to your daughter, the cover designer. In the show notes, I can't thank you guys enough for coming on and giving us a different view, a, a, a more positive view of, of the pre-order opportunities available to indie authors today. Well, thank you for inviting us. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was great to be back, Stephen. Thanks for having me. 